Welcome to a show about learning technologies so powerful they transcend the boundaries of reality itself. I'm your host, Pinky Gonzalez, and this is New School VR. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Pinky Gonzalez. You're listening to New School VR. And today we have the opportunity to, to sit down with Peter Campbell from Experial. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, Pinky. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is a great pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Well, we're excited to have you here. And, and uh, I already know the reason why, but the listeners are about to find out for themselves. Uh, tell us about Experial. Yeah, so Experial is uh, a new company. I started at the end of, of 2016. And so Experial is a consultancy that focuses on the needs of learning organizations. So what I do is I leverage the many years that I've been in educational technology, 22 years, if you can believe it. And I leverage all the contacts and experience I have as someone who's been in educational technology. And I connect with organizations that are developing incredible immersive learning solutions, software developers, as well as hardware developers, as well as folks in large companies like the publishing companies and the, and the larger companies like Microsoft, bring all those people together. And we identify problems that need to be solved in education, seemingly intractable problems. And working in partnership with all those different partners, we create solutions in immersive learning that solve those problems. That's I, my work here is done. Thanks. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. What What are some examples of of these uh, seemingly insurmountable problems that you're you're out there seeing in, in uh, on the front lines right now? Well, I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> delighted to tell you about one. So the the one that I'm most uh, excited about and fond of is a solution that I led and developed while I was still at Pearson. So uh, for your listeners, I, I worked at Pearson, the world's largest educational content provider for just over a year and, and had a, a great run there. It was a, a tremendous honor and opportunity to be able to uh, learn about the, the space and, and, and connect with folks. But while I was at Pearson, I, I created and led the immersive learning strategy there and was fortunate enough to establish a relationship, a partnership with Microsoft. And as you know, Pinky, full well, but perhaps some of your other listeners know about this incredible technology called HoloLens. So for those of you who don't know, HoloLens is essentially a completely untethered computer that sits on your head and you gaze through these uh, goggles. They, they look like fancy ski glasses, ski goggles. And you look out into the world and you see holograms a la Princess Leia Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope <laughs> fame, right? We all know the reference. Mm -hmm. And and I know that a lot of your listeners are, are not um, fully conversant in in VR and, and mixed reality, thus your your show. But for those of you who are, you know that this is a, a pretty exciting, compelling technology. So in this relationship, in this partnership that I struck up with Microsoft and with HoloLens, the challenge was, well, what the heck does this device do? really well? What are some of its core capabilities? And how could a company like Pearson leverage those capabilities that that device has that helps them to solve some of these seemingly intractable problems? So looking at the device, it, it became clear to me that the device did three things really, really well. It handled 
visualization problems where students are trying to understand complex 3D data but can't really fully understand them as they truly are. So it's really good at, at visualization. Um, it's really good at something that I call coach in the head. So there's a great example of this on the Microsoft HoloLens site where they've got a, a dad and a daughter working together. The dad's on his on his Surface tablet and the daughter's wearing a HoloLens and she's underneath a sink. And the dad is able to give her instructions in real time using Skype on HoloLens, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the, the dad is actually annotating his daughter's field of view where she's looking and saying, circle, he's circling this little area of the sink and saying, fix this, fix that. And so she's able to fix the sink um, at a distance with her dad's help using, using HoloLens. Um, and there's also another great example of, uh, on the, on the Microsoft site about, uh, ThyssenKrupp, an elevator company that allows technicians in the field to be able to leverage the HoloLens. So where that field technician is looking, that is being broadcast in real time back to an advanced service repair technician at a remote location. And that service repair technician is able to also annotate that field technician's field of view and point out precisely how that field technician can solve the problem that lies in front of him. So that's the, the coach in the head uh, mm -hmm. capability. And then the last one is the simulation capability. And that's the, that's the story I want to tell you about. So uh, Holland's really good at simulation. And the way it's good at simulation is that through the magic of holographic or sometimes referred to as volumetric video capture, you can video humans, actual real humans, in 360 degrees, and you can capture them as holograms. And then therefore, these people, this real video, when you look out into your field of view, you can see a person standing there right in front of you. But of course, it's not really a person standing there in front of you. It's a hologram. It's a, it's a trick of light. It's how the, the technology works. So looking at that, that 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 simulation capability, it occurred to me, wow, that's that's a capability that I think we at Pearson could really leverage. So we looked at the opportunities in the market. And the first question we asked was, well, where is there a need for simulation in all the different disciplines that, that we that we run in where we offer solutions? Where does the, the market really need simulation? And where is we where can we as a business leverage that that capability? So we looked at all the different disciplines and we landed on nursing. That nursing was an area where there was a strong need in the market for simulation. In fact, the recent literature points out that up to 50% of the experience that nurses get in their in their training can come through simulation. The other 50% can come through actual hands-on, in-person clinical experience, right? But 50% of their experience and training can come through simulation. And that the simulation capabilities that exist today aren't, aren't really great. They're, they're these mannequins, right? These, these physical plastic bodies that, that look anything but real. Mm -hmm. So there was, a, there was a need in the market for that simulation capability. And there was a need on the part of, of Pearson as a business to provide that capability um, as well. So we looked at that as a, as a space to investigate. So I went out and, and started talking to various nursing education programs across the country and began to say, well, these are the problems that we see in the market. What are the, what are the problems that you see? Is there alignment between what we see and what you see? And what I discovered was that in the market, there is a need for this, this phenomenon that's referred to as standardized patient programs. So in nursing education, at some small percentage of, of nursing education programs, 
they have these standardized patients. And, and what that essentially means is that these nursing programs go out and find local actors to play the part of patients, right? So they identify these actors, they thoroughly train them in how to exhibit the symptoms of a particular illness, a particular disease. They put on elaborate costumes and, and wardrobe. They put on elaborate makeup, moulage, that's referred to in, in the industry. And that these real patient actors, these standardized patients, then look and feel and behave as if they truly do have these illnesses and this, the, the nursing students get to interact with them. So these programs are great. They, it really gives the students that that real experience of working with a, a real patient, albeit a, a, a patient actor. The problem with that program, though, Pinky, and, and those programs is that they're very, very expensive to spin up and they're very complex to manage. And as a result, although nursing education programs would love to have standardized patient programs because of the cost and because of the complexity, less than 10% of the nursing education programs in the country actually have them. So that was where the real opportunity was, where all the different stars aligned. And I said, well, wait a minute. If we can create not a standardized patient solution, but a standardized patient hologram solution, maybe we could deliver the same type of value that standardized patient programs have, but we could do it with a fraction at a fraction of the cost with far less complexity. And even maybe, just maybe, we could provide an experience that was not just as good as working with an actual human patient actor, but potentially even better. And by that, I mean that unlike a human with volumetric video or holographic video, you can always pause, rewind, and play that same experience over and over and over again, mm. ad infinitum, ad, ad nauseum, in exactly the way that it was the first time you experienced it. So this would be valuable, we thought, not just from a classroom-based perspective where the instructor could show this hologram to his or her students. All the students wearing hololens would be able to look at this patient. They're all looking at the, the hologram in real time. The instructor is posing a series of sort of Socratic questions, things like, all right, what do you notice immediately about this patient? Um, what are some of the things that you notice about uh, his breathing? Or what do you notice about the skin? And the students are all looking at the same object, and they can answer these questions in, in this sort of Socratic back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a classroom instruction. But I think the area where, where it would be even more exciting is that the student could actually take the device and the content home and practice working with these holographic standardized patients over and over again at their own pace, at their own leisure, and their convenience of their home, dorm, um, et cetera. So that, that was really exciting to, to have landed on that. So uh, long story short, formed a partnership with San Diego State University and with Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center based out of Lubbock, Texas, and uh, got those folks really excited about the project. Then the Texas Tech team um, uh, actually volunteered the, the use of a couple of their standardized patient actors. So we schlepped all the way up to Redmond, to the Microsoft campus. We went on set to one of their state-of-the-art green screen studios. We shot these standardized patients doing a number of different uh, simulations, behaving in a certain type of, of fashion with the elaborate makeup and the costumes, etc. We shot that holographic video, produced it, and now those holograms are being piloted right now as we speak 
well, maybe not as we speak, but right now. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on when you're listening to this. <laughs> right. Maybe as we speak, but not as you know, we'll see. Anyway. <laughs> right, right. But they are being um, piloted right now at San Diego State and, and Texas Tech. And it, it still remains to be seen what the what the future of that project is. But I, I, I it was just, to me, really gratifying to have identified so strongly a real need. Again, this the, the, the theory is there are a set of intractable problems that exist in education there are technological solutions within immersive learning that can solve these problems. And I think this is a great example of, of being able to take all those different pieces, putting them together, create a product and a solution. And now of course it's being tested and we'll, we'll get the, we'll get the results uh, soon enough, but very excited about the, the, the types of things that I think we're going to see from, from that experience. Huge, huge. So in, in the very last episode, this this will be uh, episode number 12 of the New School VR podcast. In the last one, I did kind of a, uh, an AR VR 101 session where we talked about um, various head-mounted displays, the HMDs, the difference between VR and AR, and then um, got into 360 filmmaking to, to, uh, to some extent. When you talk about volumetric video sort of this outside in, how, how is that done? How do you capture a three-dimensional person, for example? Yeah, so um, depending on the, on the solution provider and vendor, it's, it's done in a, a number of different ways. But essentially, it means taking a number of different video cameras and positioning those video cameras around a human actor. It doesn't actually have to be a human. In fact, Microsoft's got a great video demonstrating that they've captured um, sloths, lemurs, <laughs> giraffes, uh, kittens. I think they actually have Grumpy Cat as well um, as as a as a fully three D volumetric video capture. But Ter- um, he's a terrible patient. Just a terrible, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, but it's essentially just you know putting putting cameras, video cameras, all around uh, an object, a living being, and uh, and filming right. And so what the advantage of that is that, you know, when, when you do something through computer generated means through, through CG, CGI, it, it always looks a little bit computery, right? Even in something as really compelling state of the art as the jungle book from, from last year, right? Mm-hmm. So really great CG. The only, apparently the only real human in that entire film was, was the boy. The, the Mowgli character, everything else was CG. But even with that, there, if you looked hard enough, you're like, eh, you know, it's not exactly the way a tiger looks and exactly the way a, an orangutan looks. And, and so, and that's, that's spending millions and millions of dollars. So if you're not able to spend millions and millions of dollars in a state-of-the-art kind of CG facility, everything that you shoot is going to look a little bit computery and a little bit fake. So in a lot of cases, that's not a big deal. It's, it's fine that there's some allowance for it not being photorealistic. But in the situations that we were focusing on, photorealism wasn't really kind of a, like a, this was a criterion number one. It had to be photorealistic because in the solution that I mentioned before with, with nursing, the nurses had to really feel as if they were interacting with a human being. We wanted to suspend disbelief as fully as possible. And if the, if the patient actors looked a little bit cartoony, it would have immediately broken that that sort of fourth wall, right? The, the illusion would have been suspended. So it was really important to to get the photorealism piece. So this is why the holographic video was um, an important component because it would deliver as close to photorealism as you can possibly get today. Because again, it's not CG; it's video, right? It's oh, right. it's live it's it's live action exactly. And you're you're taking 
those multiple cameras and you're combining all those different video feeds into a single volumetric object. And that object is comprised of, of pixels that are generated from a real human actor. So it's got, uh, it, it's got that photorealistic element. The other piece too is that the, um, the complexity involved with trying to generate from scratch CG characters is, you know, very, very complex, very costly. And looking at the, the cost and complexity, the cost and complexity, relatively speaking, for volumetric video, actually much cheaper and easier, right? Because you are, again, it's just, you know, quote, just video. Uh, but not only do you get the photorealistic elements, but you reduce cost and complexity by going through that. Uh, plus, holograms, um, volumetric video holograms are just so incredibly cool. They're just <laughs> it's, it's hard to believe that you're looking at a at a hologram. It's 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 quite it's quite stunning. It really is. I've, I've got a couple of questions for you about uh, different uh, different AR or, or uh, MR uh, headsets that are out there right now. If you've had a chance to play with them. Um, but before we get even that far, did you guys, I, I've been, I'm sure the relationship with Microsoft was a very valuable one, and it sounds like this is an excellent uh, use of that technology. Did you consider a VR experience instead of this mixed reality thing, or what were your thoughts for the right format? Yeah, so it, it, for for the immediate use cases that we described, it was really clear to me that we needed a mixed reality solution, largely because we wanted the experience to be a shared experience in an actual physical classroom. And so if you look at where VR HMDs, head-mounted displays, are today, that's really hard to do. You, you can have shared experiences in a, in a VR space through avatars, but you know my experience is they're still a little kludgy. They're still not really there plus if you're if you've got more than two people even in in the same physical space with a vr hmd you've got the the tether being the, the cord tethered to the computer dragging behind you you're afraid that you're going to bump into somebody or bump into a chair or or fall off a platform there are just so many the the actual implementation experience for vr was for me uh, a deal breaker. And so we really needed it to be something that you could quickly put on and then have a shared experience in a classroom setting. And so for those reasons alone, we thought it's best to focus on on a, on a mixed reality experience. And given where the market is today, as far as the devices are concerned, really the only player in the market as far as a compelling mixed reality solution is Microsoft's HoloLens. Mm -hmm. That's, that's going to change probably in the not so distant future, but right now, um, Microsoft is really the only game in town for, for what it's able to do. That said, we did sketch out some instances where you could say, well, uh, we're, we're, this is a classroom based situation. It's really important to, to map to the, the classroom needs and the pedagogical needs of the instructor. So that's why it's important. However, what if there's a use case where one of these standardized patient holograms suddenly goes into anaphylactic shocks, no longer breathing, flops over, and you really want to be able to simulate what it's like to actually go into the emergency room. Well, in that case, suddenly you don't want to feel like you're in a classroom anymore. You really want to make sure you want it to seem like you're in an ER where there's lots of machines beeping, there's people screaming, there's there's lots of blood and vomit and all sorts of nasty things. And so in that use case, it's probably better to create that as a, a fully immersive VR experience where you really feel like you are in the emergency room, where you've got all that different feedback. 
And what's lovely about the, the solution that we crafted was that you could take that same volumetric video hologram and you could take it out of a mixed reality setting and then transition it into a VR setting, largely because video is video, number one. And number two, you could leverage a gaming engine like Unity and move it out of one context into another. S certainly not, uh, you, you can't press a button and it does it for you automatically. There's some level of effort, cost, complexity associated with that, but it's certainly very doable. And so that was one of the huge insights and lessons learned too, is you know, really thinking about developing assets that could work in a mixed reality or augmented reality setting, but they could also easily transition into a VR setting if the situation called for it. So we were, we were cognizant of that and had a plan in place to be able to roll those assets into those different environments. That is killer. You're hitting on a few topics, I think, that are going to be very relevant uh, or at least of, of high interest to those listeners who are uh, educators now, um, particularly um, K through 12 that are interested in incorporating virtual experiences into a classroom. And you just uh, highlighted a few of the, the problems with, um, with the current, the current high-end systems for VR are tethered. What do you think the, the next the next phase of uh, MR or, or VR technologies in this direction needs to do that right now you have limitations around. Yeah, so to your earlier set of observations, Pinky, I think you're right on. I think the industry recognizes fully as well that the tether was kind of a deal breaker. That the the, the market right away said, "Ew, this this <laughs> tether thing is is not gonna." It's not going to fly. So I agree with you. I don't know for a fact, but I'm, I'm, I'll bet pretty good money that HTC in particular will, will come out with a, with a compelling standalone solution. So it'll be like the Vive 2, but there'll, there'll be something like that. And it'll probably have the compute power attached to some sort of fanny pack or some sort of belt like device where you've got the, 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 the equivalent of a, of a desktop machine, but worn around your way so you get that compute power so you won't be able to you won't be weighed down by that so i think i absolutely i'm very very bullish about how the industry is going to respond to to the needs but um but that's on the high-end piece i think i think what what we'll need to see more of and i'm i'm pretty excited about what what google is doing with daydream is i i think we'll, we'll start to see is we'll 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 see the developer community say you know what the reality is that we absolutely have to start with the phone, the phone that people have in their pockets today. And we can certainly do things in, in cardboard. That experience is, is, is fairly compelling at a certain level. But I think the sweet spot's going to be in the sort of the Samsung Gear VR and the Google Daydream uh, VR space where you can still leverage that same value proposition, which is take the smartphone that you already own out of your pocket and stick it into some sort of sleeve-like device. So again, it's you know, right now it's Samsung Gear VR or the, the Google Daydream Viewer. And then with that device, you can have a really compelling experience. I, I think the developer community needs to kind of accept those limitations, not complain about those limitations, but really mm -hmm. accept them, and then drill down on compelling educational experiences that accept those limitations as what they are. They're just requirements. Here's the, the limited playing field that we have and develop solutions that deliver compelling value within those constraints, number one. But then number two, to think about a continuum of value and a continuum of experiences that say it starts in daydream 
VR or it starts in Gear VR and it's at this price point and it does these things and it solves these problems and achieves these learning outcomes. And then you layer into a higher end solution that leverages the capability of, some, of something like a Vive or a Rift or other HMDs that will soon be in the market from Microsoft. And you say, as compelling as that solution is and these lower end devices in, in Gear and in, in Daydream, they are even more powerful in these other uh, devices and they provide even greater value. And you say to the market, choose. If, if this lower-end solution with these lower-end devices at this lower cost delivers enough value and solves enough problems, great. If these higher-end solutions deliver better value at an attractive price point, great. Ideally, though, Pinky, I, I see them functioning as, as complements so that there might be uh, an in wave one in implementation or purchase of the lower-end solutions and then customers go and purchase in at those, at those higher-end solutions um, eventually. But the, the net of it is, except the limitations of where the technology is today, don't carp about it, don't gripe about it, dive deep into providing real value with those limitations, but don't cut yourself off there. Be mindful of creating a path whereby the market, educational consumers in particular, can upgrade from those experiences and have an even more compelling experience. But don't hold out for for uh, the high-end solution at infinitum. I think that's probably the wrong track. <laughs> and don't cut yourself off at infinitum on the lower-end solution. Rather, think about how those two uh, platforms and the capabilities of those platforms can complement and connect to each other. Awesome. And you speak from experience when it comes to this stuff. We, we've been talking about your work uh, at Pearson, but you didn't start at Pearson. Where Where did all of this begin for you? Oh my goodness. Well, uh, I've, I've been an educator since 1987. So, uh, taught, taught, uh, for the Princeton Review back when I was still in college, uh, in, in 87. And then got really excited about education and technology in 1995 when the web, as we know it today, was, was born. Netscape 1.0 launched and, and you could add, um, animated GIFs and blinking text and man, you know, the world was, the world was on fire in those days. Those were, those were exciting days. So I got involved in, in, um, in multimedia development back when uh, CD ROMs were, were a big deal. That was, that was, uh, some exciting times with, with packages from Macromedia, like Director and Authorware and, and Hypercard and Hyperstudio. And these were, these were tremendously exciting, uh, exciting times. So, Got really in, enmeshed in, in, in those spaces and looking at those opportunities. Uh, eventually wound up uh, working for a startup company in New York City that was uh, creating something called a learning management system. Mm -hmm. And in 1999, that was, that was like science fiction. Like, what? A learning management system? What the heck is that? So we worked, we worked, uh, uh intently on, on, uh, on learning management system for K-12, actually. And then 2001, the bubble burst. And uh, reality set in. So then I, I took a job at Montclair State University in New Jersey and worked there for 10 years in a number of different roles. I was the director of academic technology there for a couple of years and, and worked as an instructional designer, but had an opportunity to work really closely with faculty and students and staff and thinking about ways that educational technology could really add to the the value of what they were doing add to the student learning experience add to the the instructor experience but you know i'll be honest with you pinky that 
throughout those many years from 1995 through 2015, my own interest and faith and confidence in this industry that I care so much about was waning over time. And I began to really question whether or not the promise of educational technology was real, so much so that I felt like, am I just sort of contributing to sort of a digital snake oil here, that that wow. there's a lot of hype and a lot of interest, but is it really, in fact, worth the investment? Is, is it really making a difference as far as learning outcomes, engagement, et cetera? And that all changed for me last year when uh, when I started to really pursue deeply what was possible within these devices. And of course, you know, that's when most of them came out, right? There's a there's a fairly long uh, history as far as, as MR, VR, well, not MR, but VR and AR is concerned. But really only last year was it um, was it really practical uh, from a commercial and consumer perspective when, when um, the Rift came into the market, where Five came into the market, where HoloLens came into the market. So I think we'll look back on 2016 as being an extraordinary year for, for, for teaching and learning. But it was in with those devices coming out and, and my own forays and explorations into that space that I recognized, wow, this is really what I've been waiting for my whole professional career. This is really what got me into this space, that the technology could could demonstrably add to the experience of teaching and learning. So that's that's what all my experiments have have produced so far, validated those those sets of hypotheses, those those hunches, and catalyzed me really into creating Experial. That's really what Experial is all about, is that as much as I really loved working at Pearson, working with the folks there, it was an opportunity for me to go really fast and focus on these areas and work with a number of different partners. So not just for Pearson, but work with other publishers, other hardware companies, other early stage startups, and be really nimble as far as identifying what those opportunities are, finding those partners, finding those dollars, crafting solutions, and getting out into the market really quickly. The goal being, I think it's important that we lift up into public consciousness exemplary implementations, exemplary projects, exemplary solutions that cause people to say, wow, you know what? This thing is real. This really is solving problems. It really does add value. This isn't just some hype. This isn't just some you know, hula hoop. It's it's genuinely meaningful. It's genuinely different from what we've seen before. And that's what Experial is all about, is to really identify those partners, identify those solutions, so that the industry as a whole, the educational industry, uh, certainly, but the, the larger immersive experience industry can be assured of, of success. The, there's been a lot of hand-wringing lately about some of the, the challenges that the industry has faced. So I think it's in, incumbent upon people like me who are really excited and passionate about the industry, especially for education, to make sure that the market knows what the what the real potential is, to lift up those exemplary innovations, shine a spotlight on them, let them be broadcast out. So it excites consumers, it excites the vendors, it excites schools, it excites educators to say, yep, this is real. We want to get involved with this so that the industry as a whole can become uh, assured of success long term. Here's to that. So so uh, let's let's lift one of them up <laughs> or, or three. What uh, beyond what you've had a chance to get your hands on yours in terms of development beyond what you've been able to develop yourself? Uh, is there anything that's exciting you right now that others are putting together? Yeah. Well, gosh, there are so many. Um, one that I like um, in particular is is a, a simulation uh, company called Mersion, um, M-U-R-S-I-O-N. I don't know if you 
I've spoken about them on your show before. We uh, did. But... Uh, it was episode number four with Carrie Straub of Mersion. Okay, terrific. Yeah. Well, as your listeners know, as you as you know, um, I think that's a, a potentially really fantastic solution. Um, maybe not so much geared towards the K-12 space as far as um, K-12 students are concerned. But um, as, as you know, and your listeners may know, it's immersion is being used today to help teachers train to become teachers. So it simulates being in a classroom environment, give students, uh, give uh, uh, teachers in training the opportunity to work with a quote, real air quotes, class, get feedback from a mentor, teacher, coach on specific practices that that teacher candidate used, take that feedback, incorporate it and try it again, right? So it's essentially uh, role play on steroids. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a big fan of that um, because it has so many different applications. Wherever role play is used, and I'm a big fan of role play, the, the challenge with role play is always that it takes a tremendous amount of effort to suspend one's disbelief. So mm-hmm. you're you're working with your you know, same aged peer, let's say you're, you're a 30 year old male and you're playing opposite a 30 year old male, but the 30 year old male that you're playing opposite is supposed to play this sort of 82 year old, uh, that patient who's, uh, has a, a, a chronic history of, of breathing difficulties and diabetes, et cetera. It's, you know, it's kind of hard <laughs> to have you suspend <laughs> your disbelief and think that person is in fact, uh, that, that, that person they're portraying. What's lovely about Mersion is that it, it creates this, this, this 2D avatar and you play opposite the 2D avatar. And, you know, my, my earlier points about photorealism notwithstanding, in some instances, and I think Mersion is a great example, in some instances, photorealism is actually not necessary. And I've had this from my own experience and I've spoken to others about this as well is that you have this experience of, of working with this avatar. And initially, yeah, you, you, you see that it's not really a real person. But within a minute or so, you lose that sense because the experience itself is so compelling. Like you're engaged in a real problem and you no longer feel like you're talking to a 2D avatar. You really feel like you're in, you're enmeshed in a particular situation. Um, I'll, I'll tell you quickly, my experience was that I was put in front of a fifth grade class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been a classroom teacher for years. And so I figured I can do this. And they said, all right, well, the, the challenge is you're going to teach this fifth grade class all about photosynthesis. Can you do that? I said, yeah, that's easy. I can do it. Ready, go. So we started the simulation and there was a couple students kind of sleeping. There was a student you know, uh, not paying attention, but that was fine. But the thing that threw me was that there was one student in the front row that put his hand up like every 10 or 15 seconds and was asking me all these questions about all these different things like, oh, have you seen the new Transformers movie? That reminds me a lot of photosynthesis. You know, my brother was going down to the beach the other day. And I said, wait, 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 hold on. Uh, we're a little bit off topic here. We need to come back to the lesson on photosynthesis. And But he kept on doing this, right? And what I realized was, oh, I understand my classroom management techniques are being assessed right now. And I'm bombing on this because I can't, I can't really figure out what to do with this kid. Mm. And so we paused the simulation and that's precisely what, what the, what the mentor said in the context is like, Hey, it looks like you were having some trouble with, with that student. What are some best, best practices around students that are perhaps overly engaged or they're, they're kind of uh, taking the, the, the conversation sideways. What, what are the best ways that you can manage that? So we talked about that, right? Was able to think about, yes, that's right. I forgot about that best practice. Then I was able to go back to the simulation and, and then use that coaching, that feedback with that student. And it worked out great, right? So real, just real practical benefit to, to a simulation like that. The cool thing that I've, that I've been told is that 
emergent right now 2D. So it works on this is the, the upside, right? That it works on on a desktop and laptop that most people have already. So it overcomes some of those uh, implementation and technology challenges. But I understand that they're actually working on a fully 3D VR immersive solution. So I've I've not actually had a chance to 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 look at that or try that. But as as compelling as that solution is today, they're also very mindful that the market is going to shift and that folks will increasingly not be having 2D experiences, but it will become the expectation that there'll be a 3D experience. So they're in a position to offer what the market wants and needs today and can accommodate from a technical perspective. But then they're also very mindful of how the market is changing. So they're developing this VR solution as well. So I'm I'm really excited about what those guys are doing. And, and the cool thing about what what they do, as you know, is that they're um, they're they have a solution in the market today. This isn't something that's being piloted. This isn't something that's being tested and validated. They're they're out working with real customers uh, today with real solutions. So I think it's important for for your listeners to know that a lot of this stuff is very bleeding edge and very new and still being kind of tested and validated. But there's also stuff that's out there that works today that you can use today that's got strong value. And of course, I know you you and your show have talked about. A lot of those things, co-spaces, thanks to you mm-hmm. on your show. I know about co-spaces, and I think co-spaces is, is another really cool solution that's out there that you can use today. Yeah, I, I became a fan of theirs. Well, I became exposed to them just through Twitter. Um, you know, when you're when you're looking for VR, ed tech kind of stuff, you tend to see um, some similar names pop up. Uh, co-spaces is, is one of them. Uh, Suzanne Krauss over there um, in Munich, Germany, does a killer job of, of keeping them uh, on the on, on the radar social media wise, but I, I love that platform in in its simplicity and power um, and, and its sophistication. You, you can create these v, uh, 3D scenes on your computer and then put on a VR viewer and be inside of it. it yeah. it's, it's a simple construct, but that's, I mean, that to me is, it was, a, was a master stroke of how do we take people from where, what they're used to today in an, in an approachable and not overly technical manner and grow these new virtual experiences that have, you know, powers that, that a desktop just never will. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, Nearpod. So near uh, Nearpod, it's always been a a favorite of mine. And now with the, with the Nearpod VR experience, which I have not tried uh, full disclosure, I've not done that yet, but I, I love the other Nearpod solution without the VR piece. So, I'm I'm excited about what they're doing, and you know Google Expeditions, of course, is uh, you know, fairly fairly low fidelity, low res, low complexity uh, solution that I think delivers incredible value, especially for students that don't get the opportunity to go on field trips or have that kind of immersive experience. There's I think just a ton of value in that solution as well. Really true. So I do want to ask you one thing. We were talking about learning management systems earlier. Um, a couple of shows back, I had the great privilege to go meet with a group called Industrial Training International, ITI.com. And they've been in the heavy equipment uh, training business for a long time, cranes and trucks and like big expensive stuff. And mm-hmm. they've just rolled out a new virtual simulator. And it's, it's really incredible. It does two things actually I wanted to talk about. One is um, it is a fully um, uh, turnkey training system so they um unlike the role play scenario where another human is actually one of those characters in the scene it's completely self-contained mm-hmm. um and then the other is they're tracking all of the actions in 
what's called XAPI or the Tin Can API. I know with, with your background in the ed tech space, you know a lot about learning management systems. What are your thoughts about how um, how we how we track student performance in this stuff using maybe some of those best practices that had that started before VR was an option? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be really crucial, and that's that's something that I know a lot of a lot of folks are 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 interested in. So. You know, with with a lot of these devices, there's there's sort of built-in telemetry that that you have out of the box that that you can leverage. But you know, I, th- I think we still need to to develop complete solutions that allow for these kinds of experiences to better track it, uh, the the their, their their use within them. So, uh, for example, there's um there's a company that I quite like that that develops these um interactive video capabilities so they can take and they're called hap yak hmm. i don't know if that that has come up on your radar before pinky but Not h-a-p-y-a-k yet. right so their 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 value propositions you can take any existing video and through their solution you can layer in uh, various forms of, of interactivity and assessment right so you can um, measure how long folks are are using these videos and you can also embed assessments within them. So, so not just how long they're in it and what they're doing, but also actually measure through formative assessment means um, what they're actually learning and, and measure their learning. So you, you can imagine that sort of capability, but take that now out of a traditional 2D um, video environment and put that into a 360 video environment. And so that I think is also going to be extraordinarily big uh, very soon. In fact, I'm working on solutions that are related specifically to this. So it's the it's the value of a video plus the value of interactive video with these assessments piece built in for companies like Hapyak, and then the immersive quality of 360 video. Right? Mm-hmm. Then, right, so more lots of layers. Then imagine you've got. Um, a branching video scenario. So I'm sure you and many of your listeners have been in these situations where you watch one of these videos and it frames the situation and uh, maybe somebody's behaving really badly in a, in a video and the video stops and says, what would you do? And so the option A is, you know, do nothing. Option B is, you know, report him to HR. Option C is, you know, get in his face and tell him off. So you get to, um, you get to then experience that in 2D. Um, I'm, I'm now working on solutions where you can do that in a 360 environment so that you're not watching it from the outside. You're actually in the scene. You're experiencing it first person telling this person off or conversely being told off by this person like you're really in that scene. So imagine then taking that that sort of embodied experience plus adding in the interactive and assessment components. Now you're actually not just observing behavior and asking people, what would you do in a hypothetical situation like this, but rather, what did you do? Not, not positing at a metacognitive level um, what, what the actual behavior would be, but putting, putting folks in a situation that elicits a certain type of behavior, watching their behavior, assessing their behavior, and then being able to pause the simulation and say, hey, how did that go? How was that for you? What it, what worked? What didn't work? Let me offer you some feedback on that. Let's try the experience again, right? So it's that same value proposition that we were talking about earlier with immersion, with that simulation experience. But now we're immer- immersed fully in that environment. We have the experience of being in that environment. 
So I think we need better ways to be able to track and assess folks that are in those types of experiences. Because again, I think what we'll find is when you put, when you put students and learners in these contexts, you'll be able to really observe really closely what their actual behavior is. And then uh, what, what the impact of training and coaching is on their behavior. Cause that's ultimately at the end of the day, what a lot of folks are, are most interested in is that they, they're really about changing behavior. How can we change the behavior of a student so that they are, um, they are doing something that they used to do? Uh, they're, they're taking what they've learned and they're, they're changing the behavior and we can witness their behavior change within the systems that we produce, like the ones that I was just, uh, describing. That's killer. We've got an upcoming show that I'll uh, save the, the details on uh, for for a surprise, but um, we're going to talk about user experience. And you know, if I'm taking a test or if I'm supposed to interact in a measurable way, how do I do that in VR? Um, it, it's a little bit more difficult if you don't have that keyboard in front of you, or if you have a virtual keyboard. How do you how do you type on it? Is it super slow, like you know, hunt and peck? And uh, I <laughs> I'm kind of uh, spending too much of my life right now on the new Oculus game, uh, Robo Recall. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, I, I try and make it a, you know, useful learning experience and not just about blasting robots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there, you know, after each sort of, uh, vignette, after each, uh, blasting of robots goes down, you come back to the, um, to the office to file reports and such. And you have this control panel where you're, you're able to modify your weapons and, um, it's sort of choose choose which adventure you're going to go on next, and it, it it didn't occur to me until a few hours into this thing, like you know, hey, wait a minute, this is this is very much a, you know, I'm I'm reading information about different options. I've got a narrative in my ears saying, um, you know, here's here's what we need to do next, so that you know I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and now it's my my interaction with a virtual machine that makes that possible. But each one of those things are not only trackable decisions, but they're recorded and, um, and a part of the ultimate learning I'm going to have, um, as a, as a developing robot, uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. Right. And, and it's, it gets exciting when you can think about how these technologies afford new types of assessment mm -hmm. and where we can start to think truly beyond multiple choice and even open response where most of those assessments happen out outside of a particularly important context we really want to make um assessment contextualized we really want to help we want to ha have assessments that develop insight for the the teacher but really more importantly for the student because the assessments really are those things that allow us to to see deeper into where we're stumbling what our challenges are and then the assessment actually produces new insights and new learning so any anything that's experiential that's really authentic that places learners in these contexts where they can learn through those experiences, I think will be in, in, incredibly valuable. Yeah, here's to that. So, man, we've taken a, a lot of your time this morning, but I want to ask uh, one important question, one last important question, and that is, um, so Experial is is your, your main gig now, and you're working with all kinds of organizations. Is there a particular kind of organization that is that is ideal that you're looking for if a listener is interested in, in, uh, in reaching out? What, what's a good fit for you? Well, right now, I'm focused very, very keenly in um, really two areas. One is around healthcare and medical education. So have a couple of different opportunities right now where I'm talking to medical schools uh, about HoloLens in particular and using HoloLens to teach anatomy and physiology. So I have a, 
a couple different partners that have got content for anatomy and physiology. So if you or, or someone you know or someone you love is in uh, healthcare education or medical education, um, I, would, I would love to talk to you more about the kinds of solutions that I'm working on. So that's, that's number one. Um, and then number two, uh, similar to what I was talking about with, with Merge and that solution, anyone that is looking to put learners into these authentic role play contexts where you're developing professionals, whether they're teacher professionals or whether they're, there are folks that are working in management where they need to be able to handle and simulate these really difficult conversations where, you know, you're coaching a difficult employee or even firing an employee. Anything that deals with these sort of high level challenging communication uh, situations would, uh, would love to talk to you as well. I think we've, there could be some really good synergy if, if you're looking for solutions around those areas. Killer. And where can we find you online? I'm at Experial, X-P-E-R-E-A-L dot com. Outstanding. And as always, we will have uh, complete show notes on NewSchoolVR.com. I'll make sure that uh, links to the website and your various social profiles are there, um, along with uh, links to, to the other apps and, and uh, companies we discussed during the show. So Wonderful. <laughs> Terrific. Peter Campbell, thank you so much for being on the show, man. You are really on the on the front edge of this stuff, and it's exciting to hear how this is really uh, making an impact in, on, in the medical side. This is really the first time we've, um, we've heard about it, the, the, uh, the, the schooling side of the, these technologies in medicine, and I'm, I'm glad to know you're out there doing it. Wonderful. Well, it's a great opportunity, Pinky. Thanks for the invitation. Really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you. You too. Take care. New School VR is graciously supported by and recorded live at Concordia University in beautiful Portland, Oregon. For over 100 years, Concordia has been preparing teachers and learning professionals for life and for a living. For more information, visit cu-portland.edu. And by dot dot dash, an experiential design and technology studio specializing in custom virtual reality and experiential marketing activations that incite wonder and inspire action. See more at dot dot dash dot io. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or through your favorite podcast delivery app. Visit us online at newschoolvr.com. And thanks for listening. I'm your host, Pinky Gonzalez, and this is New School VR. This is VR Podcast is dope.